Thank you for returning for another time of examining privilege. Let's notice what's around you while you listen. Because frankly, if you're listening to this thing, there's privilege involved. You have access to the internet, or know someone who does, if someone recorded this onto a tape or a disc for you. You have access to some kind of media device to play the podcast on. But let's notice more. What are you doing while you listen? Are you working out? Are you sitting and thinking? Are you driving? All of these things have some kind of privilege built into them. Noticing privilege is vital to this Killing the Great White Male project. And there are costs for every single privilege mentioned here. Costs to the environment, to you, to the people you love. And that's part of what all of this is about. Looking at privilege and wondering about the cost. Last episode, we ended by talking about how the system we're working to change is multifaceted. How in the middle of working to end racism, we can't just overlook sexism. We can't give it a pass. I'm working with a classic critique here from black feminist writers based on the notion of something written about as intersectionality. This theory was developed by many writers over the years, from Sojourner Truth all the way back in the 19th century to Francis Beale's pamphlet Double Jeopardy to be black and female, and many, many more. The term intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in her 1989 article Demarginalizing the Intersection of Race and Sex, a Black Feminist Critique of Anti-Discrimination Doctrine, Feminist Theory, and Anti-Racist Politics. All of these books that, I, that I've mentioned or referenced are worth reading, and frankly, just put black feminism into Amazon and see what's there. Because reading folks who are marginalized by our culture is an essential exercise for learning about our own privilege. Welcome to episode 12. Let's do our best Patrick Stewart and engage. Yeah. It, I, I also, I don't want to lose the bit that you mentioned about Coates' uh, time in France. Because that was such a light-up moment for me, personally, of, of watching him have that experience of being in an environment totally outside the norm where he's a minority for very different reasons, right? Just simply because he's an American in, in France. And I, I also I have trouble using the term American here. I've been too well-versed in the, in the notion that, well... America also includes Canada, it also includes Mexico, it includes Honduras and Guatemala and Argentina and Brazil. Like, that, this is the whole Western Hemisphere is, uh, is America. So I, I, that's one thing I, I do kind of, like, I appreciate that Coates makes it so clear that this whole thing is a quote-unquote American problem. And I also, uh, I can't use the term American for us, um, but... A, as a as a as a U.S. guy in France, that Coates has these experiences where different parts of him come come forth, and I think that was the that bit right there highlighted for me how important the experiences of of being being in a space that I'm not comfortable in, right? Because as as white men, everyone knows how to speak our language, right? Right, and so being in spaces where I have to speak somebody else's language, um, uh, being in women's studies classes where I'm the only dude, and I have to sit there and just listen and learn from totally different perspectives than what I'm normally around, 
Um, and the same thing with being in, in black spaces, same thing. I, when I, uh, in seminary, I would take classes at the Jewish studies, um, with the Jewish studies program. And it was incredible to sit with other scholars who were all Jewish as a, as a, at the time Christian, um, and have to hear the same stories. Cause we, we often shared, uh, we shared a ton of stories that were the same, not just the ones in, in the book, but all these ones, uh, around the book. Um, so just that notion of sitting in those spaces and those spaces are the ones where we get to see the parts of ourselves that we cut off in order to fit into that mold that you mentioned earlier, in order to, to fit into the, the container of, of whiteness or the container of the white male, that it's in these other spaces that we can rediscover those bits. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, it totally does. I was actually having a conversation similar to this with my wife uh, right before this call. We were on a walk with the dogs and uh, we're talking about this, this privilege uh, that we have goes so deep that we have the privilege to not need to know another language. God, yes. The privilege to not need to know other cultures. And that's part of the dream, right? The dream yep. isolates you from everything external and it keeps you within that container. We're just in this little bubble. And uh, and it's terrible. Like I, I see in Europe, you know, you know three to four languages, that's just part of your schooling. This kind of, this more global culture seems to be something that's, uh, that is more prevalent around the world versus here in this country. And, and that's part of this country's exceptionalism and nationalism. It's like, well, we're better. And so because of that, we don't need to learn about anything else. And, and that's just such garbage. And, and that's what pushes me more to travel and to experience other things and yeah. to learn new things and, and to put myself in uncomfortable situations because that's how I learn. And I, I have to push this comfort zone because this comfort zone is the dream. And, and without pushing beyond that, uh, we can't grow as people and we can't learn. Uh, and there's, there's this one profound quote that comes up uh, that I think points back to kind of that mirror effect of the uh, this notion that we are this notion that we're privileged because we're privileged we don't have to learn these other things but it's not just other things about the world it's also other things about ourselves yes and he says this one quote is so profound he says the entire narrative of this country argues against the truth of who you are Ooh. and that speaks it's so deep to this having to fit into this container and completely wiping away who you are because this yes. country the way this country's built on capitalism doesn't care who anyone is yep. what they care is who they can be within their system to fit their end goal of profit yes yeah that it's dehumanizing by its very nature it, even yeah even as the the lie is that it's about you know your chance to to climb a ladder or whatever it has nothing to do with you uh, the real question we need to be asking is why is there a fucking ladder? That's just anth antithetical to who human, who human beings have been. When you go back uh, to tribal systems, they they tend to have far less of those kinds of divisions because there's much more of a sense that we need each other. Um, they, <laughs> it, it's fun being in in mountain communities um to me at least it's it's interesting as somebody who's taken to, to living in cities but uh i've spent enough time in mountain communities that there's this interesting sense of that still i think in 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 these more rural and uh, places where when the snow hits 
and you're stranded on the side of the road, you never know who you're going to depend on uh, to get your ass out of there. And it may just be somebody wearing a MAGA hat. Um, this notion that there's still underlying things that matter more than, um, than, than, than the fights that we, we wage on a daily basis. And that's our humanity. Um, we see little bits of that here and there. Um, but it's, it, as you've mentioned, like that, that's the most important part of this mechanism. It has to get us to believe that the system is more important than, than ourselves. Um, yeah. And that's, well, and I, I truly believe that, that all of us want to, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to live these healthy, fulfilling, happy lives. And for some of us that, that I guess, I guess, you know, you said someone in a MAGA hat. So I guess I'm just thinking of, of maybe what a, I guess, stereotypical person might be. Maybe someone that's uh, a working class, a uh, white person that really uh, might associate with white nationalism and Trump as, as that being a part of something bigger than themselves and, mm-hmm. and then being bought into that regardless of any logic. There's no rationale because it's, it's a feeling and it's, it's a, they feel that it's, it's tribalism. It's part of who they really are. And, uh, and for that exact reason, <laughs> we, we need to be preserving culture. I mean, that in itself shows why we need culture so much and why yes. we need community and each other. And, uh, and otherwise so, we're going to construct you know, it falsely. Right, exactly. And, and uh, that's why I think we, we need to be opening up and listening to each other and having conversations and, and not, uh, vilifying, uh, other people because they think different, even if that might be offensive to us. If we take, you know, one of the four agreements out and, and don't take things personally and understand that, you know, the reason people do things is because of how they feel about themselves and their own experience and their own narratives and stories. Uh, I think that opens up the possibility for a lot of us to start to find way more similarities between others, uh, than differences. And, uh, maybe that can become a bridge to us, uh, to us becoming, I think, a little bit more of, of uh, I don't know, more compassionate at least. So, and you and I have had bits of this discussion before, but it, I think this is, for me, a real point of struggle. Um, and, and I think it should be, um, because there's a point at which not standing up and saying hell no to the fascism that is rising in this country, that there's a certain point at which by not standing up and saying hell no, we become part of that system and we become complicit in it. Um, and as you said, like, how do we also leave space for those magical moments when we're going to have a real human encounter? Cause, cause I think both of those can be held. I also think it's really fucking hard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. And I think instead of maybe saying something, we should be asking things. Hmm. I think yeah. that myself included, you know, many of us on, you know, what some might call, you know, the liberal left um, are very quick to want to educate. And <laughs> when our Wait, are you saying we're dominating and are educating there? <laughs> not at all, not at all. <laughs> uh, and I recently uh, hosted a webinar on this too about, you know, emotionally charged conversations uh, and, uh, and this kind of propensity or this, this, uh, I guess this, this urge to educate and to, to prove someone else wrong. 
And if that is the intention, they're coming up with a wall up and they're going to resist and they're going to dig in their heels. Whereas if our intention is to understand and if we are truly entering with curiosity, uh, I think that's where we start to make inroads because then we start to see ourselves as humans. We start to strip down these walls that have been put up by people outside of us that have been put up by our ancestors that have been put up by the powers that be that have been created because of the dream. If we start to remove these social constructs, uh, we start to truly see each other for who we are. And then we start to make progress. Then we can start to listen and hear each other's experience, hear each other's stories and break those down. Uh, that's my thought. Yes. I, I agree with you that <laughs> there are lines and there's boundaries and, and when it comes to the way people are treated and when it comes to uh, rooting out systemic oppression and racism, uh, yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you. But on an individual person-to-person basis, I think we all could gain a lot by starting to listen to people more uh, because hmm. at the end of the day, 99% of us uh, have been oppressed in different ways. Uh, some of us have just been given the privilege and used as pawns uh, in this game that we are not complicit in or that we are complicit in. I mean, the part of me that absolutely identifies that with that is the part of me that stayed asleep in the dream for so long. Like it, my, my experience of, of transitioning out of that. Well, first off, it was painful as hell. Um, and I think that's worth mentioning. Um, I, I think Coates covers this, uh, the very last like couple paragraphs of his book. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Cause I, I don't want to take his words out of context here. Um, he, he mentions uh, repeatedly before we dive into this, he mentions repeatedly the, the death, it, it the primary death that kind of shook him um, and, and helped him realize like, how really drastic this was. And this was after his time at, at Howard, the, the, the death of his friend, um, named Prince. Um, and he talks about visiting Prince's mom years later, um, to talk, talk with her about this whole thing. Um, and so he's, he's, yeah. So he's, he's talking about, um, this revolution has freed the dreamers to plunder not just the bodies of humans, but the body of the earth itself. And the earth is not our creation. It has no respect for us. It has no use for us. And its vengeance is not the fire in the cities, but the fire in the sky. Something more fierce than Marcus Garvey is riding on, a, on the world whirlwind. Something more awful than all our African rise ancestors is rising from the seas. The two phenomenon are known to each other. It was cotton that passed through our chained hands that inaugurated this age. It is the flight from us that sent them sprawling into the subdivided woods and the methods of transport through these new subdivisions across the sprawl is the automobile, the noose around the neck of the earth and ultimately the dreamers themselves. I drove away from the house of Mabel Jones thinking of all of this. I drove away as always thinking of you. I do not believe that we can stop them, Samori, because they must ultimately stop themselves. And still I urge you to struggle. Struggle for the memory of your ancestors. Struggle for the wisdom. Struggle for the warmth of the Mecca. Struggle for your grandmother 
and our and grandfather for your name, but do not struggle for the dreamers. Hope for them, pray for them if you are so moved, but do not pin your struggle on their conversion. The dreamers will have to learn to struggle themselves, to understand that the field for their dream, the stage where they have painted themselves white, is the deathbed of us all. The dream is the same habit that endangers the planet, the same habit that sees our bodies stowed away in prisons and ghettos. I saw those ghettos driving back from Dr. Jones' home. They were the same ghettos I had seen in Chicago all those years ago, the same ghettos where my mother was raised, where my father was raised. Through the windshield I saw the mark of these ghettos, the abundance of beauty shops, churches, liquor stores, and crumbling housing, and I felt the old fear. Through the windshield I saw the rain coming down in sheets. Rain coming down in sheets. Every time I bump into a description like this, I hear my high school English teacher asking us to look through the lens of nature's indifference to man. But I think quite the opposite is true in this quote. I think Coates' tears are flowing with the rain. Because the notion of nature's indifference to humankind is ultimately arrogance. It's rooted in the notion that we are separate from nature. And here we see another intersection. Our abuse of the planet, abuse rooted in racism, rooted in ableism, rooted in sexism, capitalism, homophobia, and xenophobia, has ensured that nature is not indifferent. It is responding. And the Earth's pushback against the dream as Coates calls it, is going to be painful enough to wake us up, whether we want it or not. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please hit that subscribe button and share this thing to some kind of social media, especially when it hits home for you. A personal note about, damn, this hit right here, this moment, this little thing that you noticed for yourself. Look us up over on Patreon or Facebook and let us know what you're experiencing. I look forward to seeing you on Monday for episode 13 and the conclusion of this particular conversation with Bill.